Guys, thank you for being here. There are loads of people here. Oh, come on. Let's try that. Loads of people here. It's better. That is better. It is a joy, folks, to see this place not quite full, but getting there. And um, for the, since January, we've been, uh, particularly at this kind of time, 11 o'clock, we've been meeting in here. We have had eight of us um, sat with um, the mighty Kallax from Ikea, which is a pride of place in the back there. And we've tried to be connect with church family. And as Alan has said, it's been amazing to pick up other people on this journey that we're on. Absolute joy. And if you're here in the building, and as Alan has said, you've, the reality of COVID has been as people have joined our church online, never actually setting foot in the building. And it's a great to see. If you're here checking us out, it is an absolute joy to, to be able to welcome you on the way out. Um, do, do grab the team. The team will grab you. They are very good at that. So just wear a cap or change your hair if you don't want to be called. We'd just love to be able to welcome you today. Just a couple of things I want to say about this season that we're in. As you know, COVID rates are, are still, they're still around. They're still, still going up. And our heart, really, as a church, has always been to serve the city well. So that has meant that we've always wanted to maintain mask wearing in the building. We've wanted to do the best that we can do to limit the spread of the infection. And that means that as COVID rates change, we pray in the name of Jesus, they go down. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, sister. Come on. But it means that we will be making sometimes tactical changes. That means our communication may sometimes be a little bit last minute, particularly when there are children involved. We love children, but they mix with other children, and then they mix with other children, and they are, we love them in Jesus' name, but they can spread things about. Let's be fair, folks. And so that can mean that we, we are often waiting for lots of information and making changes. Sometimes folks will send stuff out, and we have to then send another message to say we got it wrong. Guys, I want to say now I'm sorry that that has happened, and I'm sorry that it may happen again. We are doing our best. Folks, we are not a PLC. We are a church family. And so there will be times when what we communicate isn't on the ball, or there'll be times that some stuff has come out on social media, it hasn't come on an email. We are working on it, and we are aware of it. But let us in this season... Be bound by the things that really, really matter. And then what matters for us in this season is to serve our city to the best of our abilities for the sake of Jesus. That, folks, is what we're wanting to do. So let me say something else, if I can, about COVID. I've quoted this quite a lot, but a Norwegian friend of mine who is a pastor said that when the Norwegian government heard about COVID, they said, this will be a two-year process. That is my Norwegian accent, folks. I think it's quite good. So thank you. Th thanks, Alan. That's very encouraging. Um, and if, you're, if you are Norwegian, I must apologize because I'm not meant to. It's not a slur on your wonderful nation. It really isn't. But there was a kind of Scandinavian pragmatism that, that, about that. And so as a church, we, we've adopted that. And so this is the second incarnation on the journey of what post-COVID looks like. It's, as I've said, it's, rates are still going up. So we're really attentive to what the education department, we're attentive to what the government say. But we are realistic that we're still on this journey. And as we're on this journey, we are trusting that the Lord will teach us something 
preparing us for what it is the Spirit of God wants to do with us in the years to come. And if you are here for the first time and you don't know who I am, my name is Tom and I'm the leader of this church and it is a great joy to be able to welcome you online and on site today. We are starting a brand new series called Ambassadors and Exiles. And having taken some feedback from folks, we're going to kind of look at this same theme across our 845 our 11 o'clock online and on site, and in the evening. And in the evening, we're going to be looking at Paul's missionary journeys, his first three missionary journeys. And in the morning, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, or Nehemiah. I'm going to go with Nehemiah because I'm not sure what it is, but Nehemiah just strips off the tongue a little bit. And we're going to ask the question, in this season of exile... And we're coming to a moment what that means. What does it look like for us in this moment and this time to track with what Jesus is saying to us individually and what is he saying to us corporately? So if you've got a Bible, um, if you've got an actual physical Bible with you, if you would open it to Nehemiah, if you're tracking with one on your phone, um, if you need to look in the index, I still do that from time to time. I'm not always sure where the books of the Old Testament are. And the reason that we're jumping into the Old Testament and we're looking at the New Testament in the evening is we believe that all Scripture is inspired by the Spirit of God. And we believe that in the arc of Scripture, right from the beginning of Genesis, that starts in the garden and ends at the end of Revelation with that great, glorious, heavenly city, that every page of Scripture weaves in about the end to where we're going and it reveals Jesus in some way or another. That is why, folks, we are jumping in to Nehemiah today. So here we go. Let's go for it. Verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakilah. Now, I just want to say something super quick. Um, as you know, I'm a dyslexic. So it's, sometimes reading is a little challenge for me. But I was watching one of my great heroes of the faith working through Nehemiah, and he was tripping over words left, right, and center. So I thought, if Timothy Keller struggles to get the names, I'm in good company, folks. So I'm feeling a sense of release about that. Okay, here we go. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanini, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnants that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. 
But if you return to me and you obey my commands, then even your exiled people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in the revering, delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Then he says this, just this funny little sentence. I was cupbearer to the king. So if you have been tracking with us for the last couple of months, you'll know that throughout May, June and July, we met at our sister church, St. Thomas's Philadelphia, down the hill. And we looked at a key text from Jeremiah 29. And essentially, Jeremiah 29 is an instruction to God's people who find themselves in exile. Exile is the word we attach to people who are having to be removed or moved, for often for political reasons or variety of reasons, but often political, driven from their homes in fear of their lives. And they are then leaving behind their, their place of belonging, their place of identity, the place which is a familiar culture, their language. It is a key theme throughout the scripture. It's actually often a theme throughout the kind of the, the history of civilizations. It is something that we're seeing right now in Afghanistan. And do you know, the thing that we are going to do as a church is we're going to uh, work with local agents to, agencies to see how can we play our part in receiving people who are exiles because, folks, it is in our spiritual story that as the people of God, we too were once exiles. Uh, there's a sense in which um, all of us experience a sense of homesickness at times. It is what Karl Marx said, that it is the reality of the human existence to experience a form of alienation. And so in about 450 BC, there or thereabouts, check Wikipedia if you want to get the dates right. That's a joke, but anyway, I'll press on. Thank you. There is a season where God's people have been taken from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the epicenter of Jewish life. Uh, the epicenter of the epicenter is the temple built by Solomon. It is the place of God's presence. It is stunning. It is the place that it, every Jewish person is drawn to. And it has been ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian army. It has been trashed. And not only has it been trashed, but a sense of identity and purpose and beliefs in the promises of God are lying tattered with Jerusalem in the pile of rubble. So then we fast forward. You see, because God's people, and remember, uh, we went through Jeremiah, the prophet said, it'll only be a two-year process, and then Jeremiah writes that really cheery letter, and he says, hey guys, it's going to be 70 years, hey! So why don't you, instead of remove yourself from culture and bring down the shutters, why don't you kind of uh, build houses, have kids, you know, Friday night, what else do you do? Uh, you could plant gardens, steady now, plant, you could plant gardens, make this your home. 
begin to live as exiles connected to a citizens of another place, beginning to inhabit the place you are, which looks like or will begin to look like the place that you have come from. And then with, there's been a number of successions of iterations of God's people returning to their homeland. The first one led by a man called Zerubbabel. What an amazing name that is. Let's just pause for a moment and say what an incredible name that is. If we get another dog to replace Archie, let's have a moment's silence, please. Okay, if we get a boy, I want to call him Zerubbabel because I've just got this image. If you go to the Bowl Hills, if you're not sure what the Bowl Hills is, it's an area of outstanding natural beauty. I think we'll all agree, folks. On the edge of Cooks. And I'd love just to shout, Zerubbabel, bring the ball back. I just thought that would be absolutely awesome. Okay, maybe that's just me. I think that would be great. So, so he leads people back from captivity. And then there's Ezra. And now there's Nehemiah. And Babylon has been overtaken by the Persians. And now there's a leader of the Persians called Artaxerxes I. I don't think that would be a great name for a dog. Bit of a mouthful. Artaxerxes I. And then there is a man who works for Artaxerxes I. And his name is Nehemiah. And at the end of Nehemiah, it says, I was a cupbearer to the king. So you've got this context that God's people, their vision of Jerusalem has gone. And then you have a man who is a thousand miles away from his spiritual home, who is a Jew working for the Persian government, walking the halls of power. A cupbearer to the king. What the heck is a cupbearer to the king? This is pre-secret service. But his role is very much like that. He tastes any drink before it's given to the king. Now, Artaxerxes, the first father, shortened to Xerxes, a bit easier. Sounds like a printer, doesn't it? Thank you. He was killed by somebody in his own household. So I imagine if you are Artaxerxes the first, you probably lie, go to bed at night with one eye open. Because your whole life is about ransacking other nations. Your whole life is about defeating people. And therefore, you run the risk of being defeated yourself. So you're going to need somebody around you, your closest confidant, the person who will most protect you, the person in your weakest, most vulnerable moments who sees you. You're going to want to trust that person. And that was God's person. And that was Nehemiah. And we see something in the scripture in the exile period that God often places people at particular times, people of God, in places of influence. And they're often people who are humble and have a heart to serve. I want to gently suggest to us, in a season where the church finds itself in exile and alienation, and honestly, you just need to look at the news and realize we are no longer a Christian nation. I've become a school governor to try and play my part in serving the city. There is a lot of paperwork, folks. There is a huge amount of policy. I have the utmost respect for school teachers. How you do it, I do not know. But I can tell you, looking at the curriculum, it ain't necessarily Christian. So what does it look like for God's people? Well, there's something here in Nehemiah. There is something for us around serving with a heart of humility. 
And as we serve with a heart of humility, that God raises people up. Or God begins to, people begin to ask, why do you do this in a particular way? Because I'm a citizen of another place. The posture for us in this season is one of humility and one of serving. In the story, chapter 1, Hanini, Nehemiah's brother, makes the journey from Jerusalem a thousand miles to Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. We don't know if he's, he's Nehemiah's genuine brother or whether he's his kind of bezzy or kinsman. We don't know. But what we do know is this, that he begins to tell a story which is Jerusalem lies in ruins. For two things, the people are feeling great shame and the walls have crumbled and the gates have been left to burn. And what that does for Nehemiah, as he hears that, is it triggers the scriptural story of old, which is this, God's judgment is on the people. The people have have walked away from God. They've not kept the promises. And you know, in life, when we begin to walk away from God, things begin to fall apart. And what has happened is for God's people is things have genuinely fall apart. And that is confirmed to them by the lack of walls. A city in the ancient world is defined by its walls, And if the walls aren't built, it can't be protected. If it can't be protected, the people cannot grow and be established. And if you haven't got gates, you can't people out. It is the definition of it is done. It is over. And if you're somebody who has believed promises, if you remember back to the days of King David and the Psalms, and you look back on that season of Israel life, in that moment it was like, this is done. There's a Christian psychologist called Dr. Henry Cloud. And he says, you know, hopelessness is something we can all feel. One, something happens to us that is personal. For Nehemiah, this is personal. This is his people. Second P is prevalent. You begin to think, well, this has happened to me. Actually, this is happening quite a lot. It's a sense of prevalence. And thirdly, you begin to think, this is permanent. And then you've lost your hope. It's a moment When Nehemiah hears this, it could be so hopeless. But there is a different story. A few moments ago, we heard our dear brother, Dave Warman. All right, Dave. And he talked of a story of God beginning to birth in him a desire to help the young people, some of the the hardest to reach young people of our city. You see, there is a different story. And as Nehemiah begins to hear the reality of Jerusalem, his heart breaks. Now, the great thing about Nehemiah is he's a master of understatements. And it says this, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. It was for 16 weeks, day and night. He is bereft. He's beside himself. His beloved Jerusalem is gone. But there is a different story. And the story that Nehemiah is deeply aware of is the story that if God's people return back to their place and they begin to follow him, that God will bless them. There is something in the economy of the kingdom, in this deep grief that God turns around the ashes of our lives, that God breaks into the hardest moments of our lives and brings about that deep sense of redemption. 
That in the most hopeless situations, there is another story. That God is always working his purposes. And Nehemiah, stepping into the story of God, knows in that moment that is not the end of the conversation. It is the beginning of God doing something new. In the same way that God broke Dave Warman's heart for some of the hardest reach people of our city. In the same way, Nehemiah's heart broke for Jerusalem. As did Jesus' heart break for Jerusalem too. Whatever it is you're facing this day, it is not the end of the road. There is an arc within Scripture, and it starts, in a, it starts with a garden, and it ends in a garden city. There is hope. Nehemiah begins to call out to God. In the place of the painful, it becomes powerful. In the place of grief, there is gold. In the place of his deepest grief, God fashions his calling. Some of the hardest things that we may experience right now, maybe within the economy of God, the the things that God is using to get our attention and to fashion our calling. In 16 weeks, before Nehemiah places, does anything, he cries out to God in praise. He cries, he prays, he fasts. Why? Because he feels deeply connected to the people of Jerusalem. Maybe there is, an, there is a place in the city that is on your heart. Maybe, there is, maybe there is, it's your workplace. Maybe it isn't your workplace at all. Maybe it's something that, that when you hear, it stirs your heart And you don't know what to do about it. For Nehemiah, he prayed for 16 weeks before he did anything. And so perhaps today you're here and God is, there is something that's breaking and broken your heart. And you may sense, I'm not quite sure what to do about this. But actually, in the economy of God, it could be God getting hold of you, fashioning in you the call that he has for your life. Or maybe he's confirming the call in your life. And there's this amazing summation prayer in verses 5 to 11. You can't write down 16 weeks of prayers. That's just nuts. But there is this summation prayer. And one thing that we can learn is this, that it's firstly it's character-focused, not outcome-focused. What do I mean by that? Do you know, when I pray, I come with a shopping list. God, um, bless the kids. Please, Lord, let us get another dog. And please, Lord, can we call him as a rubber ball? Um, please, Jesus, um, help me today in work or do this or got an illness or ailments or da 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 da. That's kind of normal. So often, I, it's, it's how I approach prayer. But there's something here with the rubber ball that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it must be you, Lord. And Nehemiah, that, that he's got such a connection with the character of God that he begins to pray in a kind of intercessory prayer. What does that mean? Now, intercession is, is when we, we are so affiliated with, with, the, with what God wants, what the Spirit of God wants. We pray what he wants in his way. And so he begins to pray prayers of faith. And they're prayers of repentance, turning back to God. It's a word that we don't like to say today. But it's a word, if we're going to see significant change, it's kind of a word that we need to adopt. We need to get it off the shelf, blow off the dust and say, what does this really mean? It means turning back to God. 
And so he begins to pray, not, not in a sense of this isn't any of my responsibility, but he's like, God, my people have fallen away from you. And he begins to cry out to God. He begins to focus on the nature of God, the character of God. He begins to say that, God, you are faithful. You are just. It's in your promises. There's an amazing moment in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where, where Christian is locked up. And he discovers that the keys to unlock him from the dungeon is promise. And he begins to pray these prayers. There is a difference between knowing about God, knowing God can do something, and a difference knowing that God will do something. Nehemiah knows that God will act because it's in his nature. And what we see with Nehemiah is his deep prayer of humility, that whatever God decides, whatever outcome that God decrees, he will be okay with that because he submitted and surrendered his life to God. And what we discover in the next chapter, in chapter 2, is partly one of the reasons perhaps he's so filled with grief and anxiety, because he knows that he needs to go to Artaxerxes, who has a thing around loyalty, and says, I don't want to work for you anymore, I want to go to Jerusalem, to my homeland. And he knows that, that, could, that Artaxerxes could have the power to kill him. You see, what we're beginning to see in Nehemiah chapter 1 is what it is to be an exile functioning as an ambassador. You see, ambassadors are familiar with the culture that they inhabit. They are well-versed and sent by their governments on, on their missions. They are to represent their government in the country, the country of the government's choosing. And what we're seeing here is Nehemiah is embracing this role. Firstly, the two things. Firstly, it is about intercessory prayer. Nehemiah prays like stink, that's a Greek word, for the coming of the kingdom in Jerusalem. He knows he's going to need to advocate with Artaxerxes. That's the job of an ambassador, representing um, the will of his government to the host nation. Nehemiah is representing the will of God to another king who is subservient to the king, Jesus. And secondly, he's beginning to pray like crazy for the Lord to move. Ambassadors are exiles on purpose. Friends, the Apostle Paul tells us that you and I are ambassadors. It means we are citizens of another kingdom. And it means whenever we find ourselves, we are representing God in all that we do. I'll tell you two quick stories. When we lived in Cambridge, I remember meeting a, a fella, an American guy. I won't hold that against him. He was lovely. He joins our church, and as you do, you're getting chatting and kind of just kind of tracking, you know, what do you do? And he's telling me about his job. And I'm thinking, this bloke's funny. He's obviously really articulate, he's got a lovely family, but when it came to what he did for a living, honestly, he was super sketchy on the detail. Do you know what I mean? And that got my, that got my antennas going, because I was just thinking, is he dodgy? Has he just come out of prison? Do we need to be safeguarding 10-4? We have a category one situation. I'm chatting to him, and it's like, what, what is, who is this guy? De you know, he, and, and, and then the kind of, I, I said to my vicar at the time, Anne, I said, this is funny, this guy. So he, thought, so he thought, right, we'll have a plan. When he comes in again, we're kind of watching him. He sat down, he sat down, I repeat, he sat down. 
And so we started to get to know him. And he was cagey about his job. I tell you, proper cagey. And then I kind of figured out that he'd been in the American military. Okay. Big lad. Wouldn't mess with him. He could drive a tank. I was impressed. That's an impressive thing. So he'd been in the American military. And he, and he worked as an analyst. And I was thinking, that's weird. A guy who can drive a tank, been in the military. Why is he looking at Excel spreadsheets all day? And what, he speaks fluent Russian. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, so what is it you do? And he's like, it's beautiful weather today, isn't it? <laughs> so what is it you do? So he's Excel spreadsheets, kind of an analyst here. And he's changing the subject. A friend of mine at the time, um, where we were living there, had been in the American Air Force. And he says, dude, he's CIA. Now, I've watched Homeland. <laughs> I know how this works. Saw Barrison. And so as I got to know him, he never said what he did. And I never asked him after that moment, because I've watched the telly. I know how these things can go. But I did say to him, you see stuff. There was a moment in a prayer meeting where somebody began to pray out about the annexation of Crimea. And somebody had a prophetic word, started to pray out something. And he came to me and he was like, how do these people know? That's classified information. What is the Spirit of God? Because he knows. I said, what do you do? Because you can't. And he said that God, as he started this role, God had given him the gift of praying. And so sometimes he would see things. And I did one because he used to fly to Washington, D.C. a lot. It took me a while. I'd have been a great detective. Do you know what I mean? One, at one, at one, at one. And into that place, God had placed somebody who called out to the God of the universe, who's even bigger than Vladimir Putin, an ambassador, his person at that time, bringing his kingdom to bear in that moment. Second story, Chris and I went to Russia to visit a family, a member of the family, long story, another time. We need some place to stay. And by the miraculous move of God, we ended up staying in the, one of the residences of the British Embassy. And when we flew into Moscow, it's a, Vladimir, if you're watching, it's a beautiful place. And interesting vibes, I'm going to say, in the, in the heavenlies. And there was a moment when the taxi dropped us off outside the, the kind of the British embassy compound. And we just walk in, and the first thing I noticed was the atmosphere changed. And right before me was a picture of Her Majesty the Queen. <laughs> Long to reign over us. And I just thought, wow. And the proper plugs, British plugs, as a sense of, a sense that, we're home. Exiles. We're all exiles in some senses. Longing to come home. And as we are embraced by the Lord, forgiven, redeemed, we are sent as ambassadors to our universities, to our schools, to our neighbours, to tell a different story. That COVID will not have the final answer. That God will have the final say. And we are called, I believe, as a church in this next season, to step out and plant embassies of his kingdom across this city. 
to raise up people who know that they are loved by the eternal king, the powerful king, the one who knows all that there is to know about us. To, and my prayer is that, that as a church family, begin to hear in our places of grief and frustration, vision for our city, as we've seen today from Dave, that there may be others that rise up. And we're to go out as ambassadors, wherever God has placed us, to represent him in different ways. That, folks, is why in this season we are looking at what it is to be an exile and what it is to be an ambassador. For these past couple of weeks, as we've been looking at neighbourhood, the, the practice of uh, neighbouring, I've noticed something with my uh, new neighbours on the right-hand side. There is an openness to the Lord that I've not encountered before. With a guy who was doing some building work on the rectory, there was an openness an interest in Jesus that I've never encountered before. There may be something, folks, in this moment of COVID, which we're all fed up with, that it may be in that moment that God is preparing the hearts for us as ambassadors in this moment at this time to be sent out. For people who perhaps have never had an openness before, but now in the narrative of this time, opens their hearts to something new, that there is another story. Maybe it's people who, are, who have been locked into loneliness and now there is a time for us to go knock on the door as ambassadors of him who sent us to reach out to the lost, the least and the last. Let's stand together, folks, shall we?